Now, if you have your Bibles and you want to look with us, Genesis five eighteen through 24 describes Enoch's life. What little bit we know of it. Genesis five eighteen through 24, Jared was 162 years old when he fathered Enoch. Jared lived 800 years after the birth of Enoch. And he fathered other sons and daughters. So Jared's life lasted 962 years. And I like this. We ought to have this on all of our tombstones. Then he died. That's it. But he says Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was not, because God took him. Father, this morning, uh, as we come to you, Lord, we just ask that hearts are open and, and ears are open and minds are open today, Lord. Father, that we would hear your word. Father, that we would prepare our hearts, if they're not already, Lord, to be opened up and to hear what faith really is and what it means. And God, we just thank you for the opportunity, Father, again, to come to, to your house, gather with your people. And, Father, to worship you, a privilege other people don't have in other places. And, Father, a privilege that we often take for granted. Lord, we just thank you today for your love and your grace. And, Father, we just ask it at the end of this day, Lord, that, Father, you are the one that's exalted and lifted up. Your name is the name above all others. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, Enoch, just to give you a little bit of background, Enoch was the great, 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 great grandson of Adam. And he was the, grand, the great grandfather of Noah. So Enoch is in a line of, of folks that are significant about our lives. Enoch was also... The one of the ten pre-flood prophets. And then if we look over in Hebrews, and you don't have to turn over there, but if you look in Hebrews 11, 5 through 6, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. And he was not found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved. Since he had pleased God, now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. We oftentimes think these are the only two scriptures that refer to Enoch. This is the only two places in the Bible that talk about Enoch. And they're very simple, they're very short, they're very to the point. Sometimes our testimony needs to be that. Direct, simple, and to the point. But we like to 
add to and, and write out and, and make expand upon. When someone comes and they say that I want to find Christ, I want to accept Him, we don't need to usher them into a side room, give them a thousand page manual, tell them to read it, study it, understand it, know it, and come back when they do. That is not the way to lead someone to Christ. But there are places today that do that. I have gone and, and worked with youth groups and crowds and, and concerts and they would call down the youth ministers and sponsors and they would say, okay, if a child comes forward, give them this card, have them fill it out, tell them the congratulations, they've accepted Jesus and let them go back. That's not the way. Enoch was described as a man of faith, a man that loved God, walked with God. Every day. But Enoch also was the youngest of the pre-flood prophets. Enoch was only 365 years old when he walked away with God. Can you imagine being as old as Methuselah? You would have had to have been born in the year 1048 and still be alive today. Now, I kid some folks about how old they are, and I joke with them about it. But to be as old as even Enoch, you would have had to have been born in 1652. I wrote a check one time, 20, well, 20 years ago, I was at a Walmart, gave the check to the girl. She takes it, she looks at it, and she goes, what was your birthday? And I said, 12065. And I kid you not, the child looked at the check, looked at me and went, is that 1965? The lady behind me literally sat down in the floor laughing. She said, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And yeah, and, and I honestly wanted to say, no, honey, that was 1765. We had a big war shortly after that. But I, I didn't. I was so stunned that, that this future leader of our country <laughs> couldn't decipher that I was not born earlier than 1965. I, I just, it just blew my mind. But can you imagine the changes that you would have seen? What all would have changed in the last 365 years that you would have seen? You would have seen the birth of this country. You would have seen electricity coming. Railroads. We went from, if we wanted to talk to somebody, to walking over to their farm, to riding an animal over, to riding in a buggy over, to if it was far enough, we, we would take a train over, to, oh, well, we can fly there. And to communicate, we went from walking over to knock on their door to smoke signals and and shooting a gun and, and, and Morse code traveling across to the point that 
we, we come up with this little box and we could go walk over to our wall and we could pick it up and we could ring in the operator and we could call and talk to that person to the point that today we can hold it all in the palm of our hand. From times that you had to stand completely still, not smile or anything, and have your picture made to just pulling out this and pushing a button and making a video. We've seen a lot of changes in the last 365 years. Enoch saw a lot of changes. But one of the changes that Enoch did not see and Enoch did not make any excuses for was his faith in God. He believed that God was the the divine creator. He believed that God had a divine way for each and every one of us to live our lives. And he told everyone about it. He didn't falter on it. He didn't change on it. He didn't waver. He said, God is who I have my faith and trust in. And every morning he got up, slept over the side of the little straw mat there that he slept on, and he slipped on his sandals if they even had them then. And he got up in the cool of the day and he went out. And as he went out the door, he started talking. Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to walk and, I'm, and I'm wanna, I want to walk with you today, Lord. I want to hear what you've got to tell me and I want to hear what's important to you and I want to know that what I see and I think and I hear and Lord, what I really want to know is how much more can I do for you? Is what Enoch got up every morning. And we often refer to Genesis and Hebrews as the only two points that Enoch has mentioned. But it's not. The book of Jude is almost entirely quoted from the book of Enoch. Now some Jewish philosophers and some Jewish religious folks and followers and historians say there was a book of Enoch. And it was left out of the Bible. Others say that it was not omitted from the Bible. It was not ever written. Some say that it was just handed down through generations. Kind of like you would tell your family story. But all the pre-flood prophets, all the prophets wrote books. They were what? we would consider today the Max Lucados, the Randy Frizzes, the Andy Stanleys, the Beth Moore. So all these, they were the very first commentaries. If you want to come back to my office, you can see these commentaries on the wall. Man's interpretation of what God said. This is where Jude got his comments. And Jude, chapter 1, 14 through 16, said, Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly acts. 
and all that they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. As I tell Katie a lot of times, she's not helping, she's meddling in my life. We'll read the last verse here. These people are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desire, their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. This was what Enoch had written. This was a book that all of the Jewish people, the children, were trained from, were taught from. Sunday school lessons were, were built around the book of Enoch. Sermons were given from the book of Enoch. They, they were quoted like we would quote some of our writers today. And Enoch's main goal in life was to share his faith and the faith that he had in God to be strengthened every day so he could tell others more about God. This morning, I I ask that you not throw those rocks to the end of the service. I ask that you hold them in your hands tightly. But this morning, what do we as Christians put our faith in? Where do we put our faith? What do we have that is so sacred to us we put faith in it? I put faith in my wife because I know she's going to be there. She's been there through the, the sickness and the health. I know she's going to be there. I put faith that my grandchildren are going to do something that will make me laugh and will make me feel good all over. We got a text this morning from our daughter. Our seven-year-old son made the all-star team. So they told him. Tide, his four-year-old brother, plays t-ball. Tide is not the athlete in the family. So his daddy turns and says, Tide, t-ball doesn't have an all-star game. And Tide said, well, that's okay, but if they had one, I'd go watch it. He didn't want to play in it. Last year, he told his mother, I don't want to do running soccer. I want to play walking soccer. How many times do we as Christians want to do that in God's church? We want to just sit on the sidelines and watch because we put our faith in things that don't mean mean a lot. This morning as we stand here, on this side of the stage, we have our American flag. I love that flag. That flag stands for something in my mind and in my heart. There are men, women, boys, and girls that died that we can have that flag displayed. There are people who fight this very day, this very hour, that are defending the right for that flag to stand where it stands. But that flag is not my God. 
It is not my Savior. I believe in what it stands for. And have there been times when that flag has represented some very deep, dark times in this country? Yes. But overall, the, the meaning of that flag and what it stands for and what it is to my heart and my life, I understand. I have faith in this country. But that flag will never save my soul. That flag holds no bearing to my salvation. It stands for truth and righteousness and justice. But if we don't live it out every day in our lives, it means nothing. We have nothing if we don't live it out. Enoch knew he had faith. Enoch knew that he walked with God and he knew others knew it because of the life that he lived. On the other side of the stage, we have the Christian flag. The flag that represents the very religious freedoms that we have and what it's for. I can remember as vacation Bible school would come around and we had the opportunity and we thought it was such a privilege to be selected to march in carrying the flags. The American flag on this side and the Christian flag on this side. And we would pledge our allegiance to the flags. And that flag that bore the sign of the cross, that sign of the cross that was where our Savior was crucified, that flag that has flown because of what our Lord did on the cross, that gave us freedom. This morning, I want to ask you in your heart, are you free because of what was done on that cross? Is your faith in what was happened and what happened on the cross? Or is it on a piece of material that it's printed on? That flag has also flew over some of the darkest times in Christianity. When men and women were accused, ridiculed, abandoned, kicked out, forsaken, forgotten in the name of religion. This morning, my faith is not in religion. My faith will never be in religion. My faith is in a Lord and Savior that died on that cross to give me my freedom. This morning, displayed very prominently in the back, dead center, is our Bible. Look at the Bible. What is it? It's a book. That's all it is. It's just a book. We all have one somewhere. Sixth grade, you get one from the Gideons. You get another one, I think, at ninth grade, maybe twelfth grade. They pass them out in prisons. They put them in motel rooms. When I was a child growing up, if you got a Bible, it was something special. It was something that cost. I've heard stories of people talking about the bookseller coming around 
and people having to finance a Bible to be able to pay it off in payments so they would have the Word of God. But if we take this Word of God and we lay it right there on the table and we walk by it every now and then and look at it, it's just a book. It means nothing. But when we open up that book and we start reading about Oh, wait a minute. God led His children out of bondage. And the way He led them out was that He had a sacrificial lamb that was slaughtered and blood was applied. And they were, they were passed over and, 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 and He took them out. And after He took them out of bondage, He, he saved them from an encroaching army that was bound to kill them. And, and wait a minute, I got, what is it more? And he led them all the way out and and into a land that he had promised them they would have. And as I keep reading, I find that, oh, look here. That God that led those people out, he gave his son. Why would he send his son? Well, let's read further. He sent his son down to to be that sacrificial lamb. That when the blood's applied and troubles and trials and death and all the sicknesses and everything come on us, they'll pass over us. Because we put our faith in the Word, not the book. If we never pick up that Bible and we never read it and we never practice it and we never live it out, we don't have the faith that Enoch had to stand up and boldly proclaim that the promises that are written in this book are still true today. That our hearts and our lives can be directed and guided by what's in this book. We have a table. This do in remembrance of me. Some of my earliest reflections of my father's ministry was remembering when they would do communion because it was so special. You didn't do it every every Sunday. Nothing wrong with it. You didn't do it every month. Nothing wrong with that. If you want to do it, that's fine. But if you're doing it just to be doing it, your faith is weak. If you're doing communion just for the sake of doing communion, then it means nothing. That table that's made out of wood, most of them are. Have a glass top, most of them do. That we sat down, grape juice and crackers on, or grape juice and unleavened bread. And, and we, we pass them out, and people chew them. And you can hear the crunch all the way through the auditorium. In unison, as we pop that little wafer in our mouth, and we start hearing crunch. Everybody. We hear it. And then we take that little cup of grape juice. But if we do that without the faith that we are remembering what God's Son did for us, it's worthless. It 
doesn't mean a thing. If our faith is not in the very act that His body was broken, that His blood was shed, that His life was given as a sacrifice, so mine was not required, it means nothing. If I don't have the faith that Enoch had that knows that what we are remembering is the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of what we've done and the promise of a home in heaven, our faith is nothing. This is where I'm going to ask you to hold your rocks. A few weeks ago, I was sitting in a meeting and the conversation came up. What about the reefs? I tell you how observant I am. I said, what reefs? <laughs> I've been here six months. A little over six, almost seven. I never noticed the reefs. Never noticed them. We took down the reefs and we put up some crosses. That, and then we took down the crosses and we put the reefs back up. That's where I'm going to ask you to hold tight to those rocks. I got more questions over those reefs and those crosses than I've got about my family is lost and dying and going to hell. And nothing is being done about it. This community has lost people right under our nose that nobody is knocking on their door and telling them that God loves them. Our faith is more in a decoration on a wall than it is in a God in heaven. I'm not trying to throw any stones at anybody. God knows mine is already as guilty. This morning at 4.30, these little birds out down in a tree decided they were going to start chirping. I rolled over to Katie, sound asleep, and said, I want to kill them. If I had had some rocks this morning, I would have thrown them at those birds. My faith was I was asleep and it felt good. Those birds disturbed it. This morning, is your faith like Enoch that you want people to know that your walk every day with the Lord is more important to you than what paint color we've got on the walls or what we hang up? Is your faith enough like Enoch that even if the changes are made and we don't like those changes, we're still going to love God? Friend, I'm glad you're here this morning. I, I promised him I wouldn't do, tell you, but I'm going to this morning. Levi Casey, one of the finest men that I ever had the opportunity to sit and talk to. Loved the Lord. Loved God. Loved this church. Loved this community. As we were sitting there one afternoon at his house, Levi was laying there in his bed and we started talking and, and, and he had to tell me his funeral plans all the way out. He, down to the very detail. I want this pen from my Gideons and I want this Masonic and I want this. And he gave us a list or gave me a list of the songs 
that he wanted sung. And he said, no offense, but I want this couple to come sing them because I like the southern gospel. I said, okay. And he said, you know, Brenda, he loved you. But he said, that music on Sunday morning, I don't like it. I don't care for it. But he added, it's not worth disturbing God's house over that style of music. It still says God's name. It still praises His Son. And it still uplifts the gospel. So I can live with it because I live for the one that died for it. This morning, do we have the faith like Enoch? That that flag will represent something in our hearts and our lives, but it is not our salvation. Or that that flag represents a Savior that died on a cross, but it is not how we get saved. Or the book, are we willing to open that book up and start making change in our life? that will let others know that we believe in a God in heaven and He still loves us today. Will we do in remembrance of Him every day? You know, communion is not... It, it, it loses its specialness when it's just being done to be done. But if we get up every morning and we drink from that cup that gives that blood flowing life to us and we eat from that unleavened bread that gives us that broken body that was broken for us and we take that out and share it with the lost and dying world, then it is special. Then we understand we need to do communion every day with God did communion with God every day. They didn't have communion then. Christ hadn't died on a cross. But He communed with God every day that He went out. I want you to look at your heart this morning. I don't want any hands raised. or any, I, want you, I want to ask you, when was the last time you went out? We've got an empty seat at church. You want to come join me? When was the last time we come to church and we walked in that door and we thought, I'm going to go pray for my community. I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for the school down here or the school in the town that I live in that God does something miraculous in it and shows people that He is the way. Instead of walking in going, I wonder what they got on the wall today. Personally, I don't care what's back there. I don't look at that. Don't feel special. I don't look at it at home either. My wife will say, what color? I don't care, just not blue. 
I lived in a blue room with blue bedspreads, with blue everything for 19 years. Painted it another shade of blue every year because we had to change. But it had to be blue. My life is not blue. My life is multicolored because God's Son gave me that right. Honestly, when I sit down on the couch, I don't care what paintings or pictures are on the wall. I want to see my grandchildren. That I do care about. I want to be able to turn the lamp on beside my end of my couch. And I'm sure nobody else in here does that. I have my end. Katie has her end. Don't mix them up. I'm like Sheldon Cooper. This is the maximum comfort level for me right here. I got the lamp right where I want it. My drink sits right there on that. Yeah, I can drink it with my right hand. The remote is where I want it at. Coffee table is perfect for me to put my feet on and stretch them out. And Katie will go, what do you think about painting the dining room? I don't care. We don't eat in there. What do you think about putting this up on the outside? Well, I don't care. I don't look at it. I come home. I come in the house. But oftentimes, me as Christians, me as a Christian, and I would almost be willing to lay odds this morning, you as a Christian. Somebody says, what do you think about? And you say, I don't care. It don't affect me. It doesn't bother me. I don't have to deal with their sins. Enoch didn't deal with their sins. He dealt with the God that loved them and told them every day that his God loved them. He did it so much that one day they were just out walking and, and Enoch just walked away. Never to be heard from, never to be seen again. He just walked away with God. But he left such a legacy. Books have been written about him. Sermons have been preached about him. Songs mention him. Jewish custom still recognizes him today. As what? As a man of This morning, even though things don't go our way, even though there are times in our life when things are not what they should be, even if it doesn't happen the way we want it to, is your faith still with God? Even if you, you, you can't paint the walls, even if that flag sometimes droops, and becomes ragged and tattered and torn. Will you still have faith in God? Even when this flag flew over people being persecuted, ridiculed, and condemned, do you still have faith in God? When God's Word is read, 
and it goes against your it goes against it grinds against you. You ever seen somebody learning how to drive a straight shift and you hear <laughs> a lot of us are that gears. We're grinded against because we don't want to change and we want God to do it our way, not his. But when God's word says, love them, love them like Jesus, do you still have the faith to do that? Do you still have the faith to do in the remembrance of Him? And remember that He did it for you. When things in your life seem to be burdening you down and they seem to be growing on you and, 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 and causing you pain, even at that point, do you still have faith? If we walked in here next Sunday and they wouldn't a reef, a cross, a flag, or anything else on this stage, would you still have faith in God? This morning as they come and we get ready to sing and we, we, we get ready to stand, we prepare our hearts. Even if everything in this world falls apart, are you still trusting and have faith in God? Do you have faith like Enoch that you can walk every step of the way, every day, with God? No matter what. And I love all of you. But I want our faith to be placed in the man upstairs, in God and His Son and what He did for us more than I ever want your faith to be placed right here or right there. Place it up in God. If you don't know this morning beyond a shadow of a doubt, if your faith is not securely grounded in that you know this morning, no matter what, if you were not here today, would you walk away with God? Or would you be turned away from God? If you've got a trial or a heartache or a burden this morning, instead of placing it in man's hearts and man's minds and their arms, place it in God's. Even through the darkest valleys, even through the roughest times, do you still have faith in God? Do you have faith like any? Stand with me, please. This morning, Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your caring, your love. Father, we thank you that you've given us faith. Father, a faith that reaches beyond all measure. Father, that you can encourage us and strengthen us. Father, that when we have faith in you, we're able to stand when the world says, sit down. Father, we still have faith that, Father, that when the world says just give up, you say no, hold tight. Father, this morning we just ask that if there's someone here today, Lord, that needs to come and renew their faith. Father, needs to come. Renew their strength in you. Father, if there's someone here this morning that this needs to come and say, I don't know you in my heart and I want to. God, I just pray this is the day and the hour. Father, this morning we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, be with us and go with us every step we take. Father, open hearts and lives this morning. 
God, that they would do what you would have us to do. Father, that we would be faithful and do what you have entrusted us with. And Father, that is to have faith in you and to believe in you. And then, Father, share it with a lost and dying world. Father, we ask all this in thy holy name this morning. Amen.